It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Garrett Wilson. Wow! What a catch! Touchdown, Jets! That kid's amazing. Gibson on the return. Near side. I don't see any flags. Gibson inside the 30. Hits the Jets. And he's going to go. Just win it. Touchdown, rookie Xavier Gibson. Game over. Allen has time. Intercepted. Sauce Gardner's got it. Allen tripped up. He could not get past Jermaine Johnson. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall. He's done it again. Brees Lightning, 62 yards for the touchdown. And he's sacked again by Quinton Williams. What a beast, number 95 for the Jets. Listen. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. And it is time to review day number two at the Senior Bowl down in Mobile, Alabama. Our friend Glenn Naughton of JetNation.com is down there. Glenn, this was the first day of practices, and we are going to get to practices in a bit. But first, some Jets related news to open the show. Sean Jefferson, who was wide receivers coach and assistant head coach under Adam Gase is now back. He was the wide receivers coach for the Panthers this past year, and now he comes back to the Jets. The Jets had been low-key looking to replace their wide receiver coach for a while. It's weird, though, because they didn't fire him, but they were still looking to replace him. I'm not really sure how that works. It can't look good to other coaches around the league. There were whispers about them trying to get other wide receiver coaches, but this is the guy they went out and got. Sean Jefferson comes back to the Jets. As you mentioned to me before we started recording, Glenn, you have to wonder if this means that Sean Jefferson's son, Van, may not be far behind. You may remember a lot of Jets fans wanted the Jets to draft Van in the 2020 draft. He ended up going ahead of where the Jets were picking. The Jets took Denzel Mims instead. Van had a pretty good year his second year in the league. 802 yards, 50 catches, 6 touchdowns, but then injuries slowed him down. He ended up getting traded in a late-round pick swap to the Falcons last year. Didn't do much of anything, but on a one-year deal for not much money, might be worth a flyer. Now with his dad back in the fold, that could be a possibility as a guy who maybe tries to fight for a shot as the fourth wide receiver or something like that. But Glenn... The big news here, Sean Jefferson is the new wide receivers coach. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss, as the great Roger Daltrey once sang. Yeah, pretty much uh, out with the old, in with the old, because uh, he hasn't been gone that long, has he? And that was my first thought was, you know, his son Van, I was a big fan of his coming out of Florida. The Jets talked about how they thought highly of him, and he was a consideration when they were on the board at one point or when they were on the clock at one point, and now he's a free agent after his father comes back to the jets. There is a need there. So if they want to bring him in as, as you said, sort of a a fourth option, then by all means bring him in to compete. But I I don't think anyone, if that were to happen, I don't think anyone should expect the jets not to address receiver in the draft as well. Glenn, plenty of action on the first day of practice at the senior bowl today in mobile. What'd you see? So yeah, the American team was the uh, they were they were the second group out. Um, Albrecht had his guys out there first, 
And then once the American team took the field, the guys that guys that stood out to me anyway. Um, and you know, I've kind of taken a a chance to scroll through a little bit of social media and seeing some of the same names. I think a lot of folks were on the same page. Um, one guy who actually had this chance to speak with after practice, um, Arkansas center Bo Limmer. He's a guy who I liked early in the year. And you know, if if you look at and I, I asked Bo Limmer about this. You know, Arkansas really seems to have this tradition right now. He He's the third center in a row who could be a quality NFL player. Of course, you had Frank Ragnow, you had Ricky Stromberg, and now Limmer moves from guard to center and had a really nice year there. And he had himself an excellent practice today, some really quality reps. Um kind of focus on the O-line here early because that was the group that obviously it's a big need for the Jets and uh, it was one of the first one, one of the first drills they ran was the O-line versus D-line uh, which is always a fun time Layden Robinson is a guy whose name I found myself writing several times because he, he kept winning rep after rep and I will say um, the American team again they practiced late their offensive linemen seemed to hold up much better in the drills than the national offensive linemen. Um, you know, of course, both sides won their share of reps, but it really felt like the American team had a, a stretch of of dominance over the defensive linemen. Um, as I said, Layden Robinson, I mentioned, I, I noticed several times. Um, uh, Guyton, who we've talked about out of Oklahoma, Scott, I've, you know, I've talked about him on our show, on my show, as a player who I was really looking forward to watching at the uh, uh, Tyler Guyton, of course, a guy I was looking forward to watching because at Oklahoma, they, they run that offense where the ball's out so quickly that you don't see him have to sustain blocks. Well, you had to see it today. He got off to a really hot start. You know, he had four or five reps in a row where he clearly won and dominated. Um, and then he got smoked on a spin move. Um, one of those, one of those plays where he was kind of palms up and looking around, like, where did that guy go? Like, I don't think he got a hand on the rusher. Um, so it wasn't perfect on the day, but Guyton still to me was very, very, very encouraging to see him play the way he did, again, given the fact that you didn't see a lot of that from him at Oklahoma. Javon Foster, a guy I've talked up quite a bit. Um, I would say he didn't look as clean as the other tackles. Maybe, you know, he had a couple of reps where he was a little bit off balance, which does happen to him from time to time. But all in all, across the board, a really good day for him. Um, a couple of really impressive reps. Um, but again, just a solid day for the American uh, for the American team across that front. Um, even uh, Jeremy Flax, who I, I think might be better suited for guard. He's a really big guy. I think he checks in at 325. One of the bigger guys out there played tackle at Kentucky, but um, some say projects the guard, but he had some good reps. And uh, Christian Haynes, a guy that I mentioned earlier in the week from UConn, up and down day for him. But all in all, I think uh, a, day, a day where he showed that he can compete with some really good players. So all in all, a win for him. And another guy who stood out on offense is somebody who, Again, I've I've kind of discussed a little bit in recent weeks because he's a guy that hasn't really gotten as much attention as he should have, and I've seen a few others tweeting about him since practice ended. Is uh, Marcus Rosemey Jackson, the receiver out of Georgia? Guy has excellent hands, body control. I think I we talked about him a couple of weeks ago on your show about how we only had two drops during his time at college, and just really did flash today, along with his teammate Lad McConkey. I think we kind of all know that, that, you know, expectations are high for him. We try to grab him for an interview after practice, but he was, he was pretty much mobbed. Um, so we weren't getting to him, but th those were the guys on offense that I thought, you know, showed the most that, that jumped out to me um, defensively for the American team. 
Um, Chris Abrams Drain, the the cornerback from Mizzou, had himself a nice day. McKinley Jackson, both tackles. Um, you know, I talked about how the offensive line dominated. McKinley Jackson and Tavondre Sweat were two guys who won their share of reps. Um, and you could just see the power in both those guys. McKinley Jackson, you know, plays with that low center of gravity, good pad level, and just driving guys back into the pocket. And Sweat, as we've discussed a few times, a really good player. Um, Bo Braid, the, the safety from Maryland, who I've talked up a fair bit, was keeping an eye. He, he was, to be honest, he was smaller than I expected. I thought he was going to be a little bit bigger back there. But even still, he did what he always did at Maryland, getting in on plays, you know, uh, got to a running back in the backfield, had a pass broken up later in practice. Just a guy, as, as I consistently say about him, always seems to be making plays no matter, you know, no matter the situation. I also noticed that Jordan Jefferson, the defensive tackle from LSU, had a stretch where probably three, four reps in a row, he was he was really dominating, really getting past the interior blockers and a guy who jumped out at me as far as a guy I far better than I expected, I guess would be one way of putting it. So we're a really nice job for him. And as far as quarterbacks, really, there wasn't really anyone on the day for either team that jumped out as being exceptional, but, um, we discussed Carter Bradley the other day. The, the, you know, he was in his home stadium, University of South Alabama. Um, and to be honest, and this could just be a, a, a case of me having no idea what to expect, having not seen him before. But I thought he did a nice job. Look, nobody, th- there were very few deep shots today. Everything was sort of check downs and short throws. But to me, Bradley did a really nice job of getting the ball out in a hurry. He was decisive. We saw him use multiple arm angles to get the ball around defenders. And just, just a guy who impressed for, for being such a small school guy practice number one and um and he had some good reps for himself so you know michael Penix did have one or two really impressive throws um one across his body and across, sort of from one sideline to the opposite sideline across his body on a really nice throw he had he showed a nice touch pass over over coverage in a one-on-one drill that uh got the coaches pretty fired up and they were you know congratulating him on a really nice throw but really for the quarterbacks not a not much going on today because of the fact that it was I think it was just sort of day one they took it easy and and there was a at one point it was almost uh it felt like there was about a dozen check downs in a row and you were waiting for somebody to throw the football down the field um but that that pretty much wraps it up for me for the for the American team anyway then you had Jeff Albrecht's side where again you had some standouts on both sides of the ball the guy, uh, you know, again, this is just my opinion, but for my money, the guy who had the best practice of the day for either team was Baylor defensive lineman Gabe Hall. He was just an absolute monster in one-on-ones in team periods. You saw him win with a variety of moves, arm over, power, heavy hands. Um, when when they were doing the bag drills, you, you literally, you know, it was one of those guys where you could hear him strike the bag from you know, hundreds of feet away, just really showed a lot of strength, a lot of power. Uh, Michael Hall, the defensive tackle from Ohio State, also had himself a good game, uh, quicker off the ball than I had anticipated. And, and of course, you, you got to talk about Talia's Fuaga, right? Because we've heard the story from Rich Samini that Joe Douglas has been targeting Fuaga for months now, and he's sort of the apple of his eye. And th- this is the word in scouting circles, according to Samini. We could say it's probably just a smokescreen, but really, given the Jets' need, for O-line, Joe Douglas's affinity for O-line, it's it's very believable. And you could see him being a guy that the Jets target with that 10th pick. Um, Cole Bishop, DB from Utah, 
again, another one of those guys where you, you, you're watching and you feel like, okay, I've seen this guy now make a play three or four different times, be it in coverage, be it um, in run support. He did a really nice job. Tanner Bordellini probably had one of the worst days. Um, the center from Wisconsin, he got driven back into the pocket uh, quite a few times in the one-on-one drills that looked like he was a little bit overmatched. Johnny Dixon, a guy who I really like, is sort of, I feel like he can play the slot, maybe a little bit of boundary, but he really struggled today. He um, he had on a couple of plays what looked to be tight coverage, but ended up getting flagged. So he drew a few penalties for his coverage for being a little bit too handsy. And Theo Johnson from Penn State, tight end, he stood out a little bit. Uh, a couple big plays over the middle, had a nice catch on a fully extended ball on a, on a, a pass that looked like it was going to sail a little bit, but he was able to elevate it and grab it, you know, fingertip grab with tight coverage in the area. Um, but one of the stars of the day, actually, two you know, on the offensive side of the ball, who really, and, and you'll remember Scott, because I, I mentioned him a few weeks ago, and then I said I loved what I saw on film from him, but Luke McCaffrey had a rice. Um, a lot reminds you of his dad because of his downfield blocking. For those who remember those old Broncos teams of Rod Smith and Ed McCaffrey, they were a big key to the, all those, a lot of those big Terrell Davis runs. Um, and you saw that from Luke McCaffrey today. And you also saw the great hands, some, a fingertip grab on a, a ball over the middle that looked like it was, it, you know, he was led a little bit too much, not the most catchable ball, but he managed to haul it in. So Luke McCaffrey's gone from a guy, honestly, who I knew very little about a few weeks ago to a guy I've watched a few of his games I thought he thrived I thought he was very impressive and then had himself a really good day today um Rasheen Ali the running back out of Marshall good day for him showed showed a lot as a receiver and a running back did a nice job had caught you know one of the few deep balls of the day on I believe it was a it was a one-on-one period but put a double move on a on a DB that just absolutely smoked him and you know left him probably, you know, a, a good 10-yard cushion between him and the back. Um, Isaac Addison at a Penn State, good edge player. He had one of the few, one of the very few wins on the day against uh, Talese Fuaga on a run play where he was able to, he was able to shed the shed the block, get to the running back at the line of scrimmage for what would have been a loss or a stop at the line. Um, monster day for Jackson Powers Johnson. He looked absolutely phenomenal in, in both team periods and individuals and you know you and I've both talked about him he'd be a very welcome addition to the Jets and then the guy that I'll end it with another lineman of course this is where the Jets need to be looking another guy that we have discussed briefly over the last couple of weeks Isaiah Adams the interior well has played interior has also played tackle offensive lineman out of Illinois showed some of the things today that you see on film and, and, and that I was hoping to see just a strong guy. You know, if he gets a hand, if he gets hands on you, you're going to have a hard time getting away from him. And, and he did a nice job today. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Glenn, not everybody that I'm about to talk about is in mobile today, but some of them were, I thought this was interesting. Daniel Jeremiah came out with his first top 50 big board And the names that we saw on that big board were not totally surprising. But one thing that might have been surprising is the order of some of the offensive linemen. And not necessarily who's first or second or any of that. But the fact that from number 9 to number 18, there was not 1, not 2, not 3, not 4, not 5, not 6, but 7 offensive linemen. So that shows you that not only is this draft 
very heavy at the top when it comes to offensive linemen, but it doesn't appear, at least according to Daniel Jeremiah, that there's a big gap between the top offensive lineman and the guy who's seventh, because here's how it broke down on his big board. Joe Alt was number nine, the offensive tackle from Notre Dame. Talise Fuaga, the offensive tackle who may be a guard in the NFL, we'll see. From Oregon State was number 11. Olu Fashanu, the offensive tackle from Penn State, was 12. J.C. Latham, the offensive tackle from Alabama, 13. Troy Fatano, who, much like Talise Fuaga, played tackle at Washington, but looks like he could be a guard in the NFL, was 16. Tyler Guyton, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma, 17. And Amarius Mims, the offensive tackle from Georgia, at 18. So think about it, Glenn. If other teams have similar rankings, what this means is that theoretically, If a team were to offer the Jets some sort of trade to move down a little bit, they could do it, pick up a pick, and if their rankings are somewhat similar to what Daniel Jeremiah has, if they have, say, Joe Alt and Amarius Mims not that far apart with all those other guys in between, you could go back a couple of picks, pick up an extra draft pick, which they really need considering that they don't have a second rounder, and still get an offensive tackle that you have very highly rated. So, I thought it was interesting to see this. There were other offensive linemen that were ranked fairly highly, but there was a bigger gap after Amarius Mims. The next guy was Jordan Morgan at number 31, and then you get into a couple of guys like Kingsley Sumitaya from BYU and Graham Barton from Duke, Jordan Morgan, of course, from Arizona. Those guys were in the low 30s, but from 9 to 18, seven guys. Really interesting to see that because, like I said, it means that perhaps... Joe Douglas and a lot of these other general managers will grade these guys closely and it would make a lot of sense to try everything possible to move down a little bit, recoup some picks, and then maybe use some of the extra picks that you pick up to move up from the third back into the second and get another offensive tackle or offensive guard or even a center and move Joe Tipman to guard. Yeah, it does seem far more often than not that the Jets, you know, the draft plays out in a way where whatever the Jets need, it's a position that doesn't really have a lot of depth in that class. Not the case at all this year. There is a desperate need for offensive tackle, and the Jets are in a position, especially if we see another one of these quarterbacks, you know, sneak into the top 10 or even the top 12. For every guy that, that you know, that works their way up, of course, that means the uh, the tackles will get pushed down that one extra slot. And I think the Jets, listen, I've said, I've made it clear I'm a Brock Bowers guy, but I'm at the point where I just, I don't see that happening. I've watched enough Brock Bowers now where I'm convinced he's not going to be there at 10. I saw Mel Kuyper mock him at five the other day. So in my mind, I'm kind of thinking Bowers isn't going to be there. If I'm the Jets at 10 and I can move, I would, I'd be willing to move down as far as sort of 16, 17, 18, and still feel confident that I can get a guy who's got a starting grade. And this is what, you know, when I talk about, I don't understand why people get upset about, oh, but we got, you know, why should we draft OT7 when we can get wide receiver three? And I just think I don't care if he's OT7. I care is the guy good enough to be a starting quality player. If there's depth at a position, of course you're going to get a guy who might be the seventh or eighth ranked guy, but he's still a very good player. What if wide receiver three is far inferior to offensive tackle seven? Give me the better player. Glenn, our friend Charlie Campbell over at WalterFootball.com had some interesting notes. He's been talking to scouts and people around the league at the Senior Bowl. He said that Joe Milton, the quarterback from Tennessee, is seen as a guy who is an interesting developmental prospect because he's got the physical tools, the size, the arm strength. 
he lacks skill in some areas, especially touch. So he's a guy that a team might take a shot on late in the draft and sit behind an incumbent starter. Might be an interesting one for the Jets. Also said that Tyler Guyton clearly stood out size-wise and athleticism-wise at this practice. He's been turning some heads. A lot of people think that he's got first-round talent. And some believe he's better than Anton Harrison, who went in the first round last year, also a tackle from Oklahoma. But apparently there are character concerns which could push him down into the second round. So I don't know what the extent of those character concerns are. I don't know if it's something where the Jets would want to steer clear. But that could be something to keep your eye on because if he does fall to the second round because of character concerns and their character concerns that the Jets are okay with, maybe the Jets could make a move back into the second round if he slides and they could grab him and double dip at tackle or even get a pass catcher in the first round and then get Guyton in the second round. Other notes from Charlie, Ricky Pearsall, as you talked about before, Glenn, the Florida wide receiver, did well today. There are teams that think he could go as high as day two. And while we're on the subject of wide receivers, North Carolina's Devontae Walker is an interesting player Charlie Campbell says that he's talked to a variety of different GMs who have said that while there's first round buzz around Devontae Walker, a lot of them view him as more of a mid-round talent, which is interesting because that means maybe he'd be on the board for the Jets in the third or fourth round. I guess we'll see how he continues to look the rest of the week during the Senior Bowl. Charlie says that Ohio State defensive tackle Michael Hall Jr. has what many teams believe is a first-round skill set, but there are character concerns, so he's going to have to do well in the interviews. Otherwise, it's possible he could tumble a little bit. And speaking of character concerns, BYU's Kingsley Sumataya, who some teams think might be a guard in the NFL, even though he played tackle at BYU. Some teams are a little bit worried about his character and his physical stature. Apparently, they think that maybe his frame is a little too thin, so they want to see him work out more, and he's going to have to nail these interviews. Otherwise, he could slide a little bit. And Glenn, that's another guy where if he slides down somewhere into the second round or maybe even the third, he's somebody that the Jets might be able to jump on and then be able to develop into a starting caliber tackle or guard because we certainly know he has the talent. It's just a matter of whether or not he can put it all together. So Glenn, your thoughts on the notes coming from our buddy Charlie Campbell over at WalterFootball.com about Tyler Guyton, Devontae Walker, Kingsley Sumataya, Michael Hall Jr., and everything else. Yeah, with Guyton... You know, as I said, I, I thought he stood out too and, and had himself a really nice day. I think he he can be a number a first round pick. We you know we saw Harrison go there last year. We actually myself and Dylan Terman, my co-host, we were discussing that out at practice today. How you know we we do see these tackles sometimes, even if even if they're not quite as even if not rated quite as highly as as you might expect for a first rounder, these guys climb because teams need offensive line help that badly that 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 sort of supply and demand for what's in the league versus what you need to acquire. You'll see those guys go higher. And Guyton is, I mean, he was already in the conversation for first round picks as far as you know everything I've seen. And so today, all he did was really you know obviously solidify his case to do that. As far as Hall and and character concerns. It's always a red flag, right? Because, you know, we've seen, we've seen it with the Jets recently. 
you know, the the fact that they had to trade a very talented player in Elijah Moore because he was sort of a me guy who was more worried about his his individual production and wasn't really worried about the wins. So, like, whose job is it? And even Michael Carter to a degree. I know the Jets said they let Michael Carter go as a favor because he wasn't playing. And it's weird because I like Michael Carter a lot, but you kind of got the impression he wasn't happy about the lack of carries. And he probably spoke out, you know, because remember, he was released, you know, I believe the day after or soon after a team meeting where everybody was allowed to speak freely. And all of a sudden he gets released. Um, And maybe that may not fit under bad character, but a guy who didn't handle adversity very well. So there are things outside of talent that teams have to look at. And that's somewhere where you can say Joe Douglas, some of his picks have failed for that reason. So when you hear that about a guy like Hall or anyone, you know, character concerns is such a broad term. It could be so many different things, Scott, right? Like it could be something that one in one case, it might be something you would scoff at and say, who really cares? But in another case, it might be something that makes you say, wow, we really don't want this guy on our roster. Um, so uh, depending on the severity, of course, I mean, I mean, we both know the Jets aren't taking a defensive tackle in the first round. But um, if, if Hall were to fall to a spot where the Jets were, were a possibility because they would like to add a tackle, I'm sure, then they've got to do that homework and find out, you know, are the character concerns real and, and are they serious and something to worry about? Um, Tez Walker, I would be shocked if he was a mid-round pick. To me, he's got first-round talent. He's a guy that put up great numbers at UNC once he was cleared by NCAA to to take part. Initially, UNC was told that he would not be eligible because of him being a transfer. Um, that went by the wayside, and he had a very productive season. And as as far as Kingsley, what is oh, fuck Suamadia? Is that it? Sumataya. Sumataya. Um, as far as Kingsley Sumataya, he's a guy that I had said fairly recently that I thought he needed to get bigger and stronger. Um, so to hear that, you know, there are questions or concerns about his frame isn't all that exciting. The the few reps that I did watch him today, he, he held up well. He, he did a nice job, but didn't really watch him extensively. And And he did look like, you know... Again, it all depends on who you're comparing him to. You talk about, you know, guys who were big out there today. Patrick Paul, to me, stood head and shoulders above everybody just in terms of stature. Um, really big guy. But but Sumatai is a guy that I looked at and thought he had some quality reps, but is he big enough to play, you know, big enough slash strong enough to play tackle at this level, or does he have to add some bulk? Glenn, last order of business, some news out of the NFL today, and I know that it got talked about down at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. Ben Johnson, who is the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, one of the hottest commodities this offseason because of the job he did there, he decided he does not want to be a head coach. This cycle, he is going to stay with the Detroit Lions as their offensive coordinator. He called off the meeting with the Washington Commanders today. There are reports that part of the reason that this didn't work out is because Johnson's agent had asked for too much money, and so teams were balking at his asking price. Some people were saying that Johnson was waiting for the perfect situation, and maybe he just didn't like the ones that were available. Either way, he stays with the Lions. This was sort of surprising, but apparently down in Mobile, there were a lot of people that weren't as surprised as the general public were. I will say 
I respect Ben Johnson's gamble here because if he goes back to Detroit and they have another good year, he becomes an even hotter commodity. But we both know, Glenn, that you can go from hot commodity to very cold commodity extremely quickly in the NFL. Look at what happened to Joe Brady. He was the wonderkind. He was interviewing for head coaching jobs. Next thing you know, he winds up banished ends up on the Bills as the quarterback coach, and finally has crawled his way back to offensive coordinator a couple of years later. The other one that comes to mind, which is even a bigger shock to the system, was Byron Leftwich, who was the hottest head coaching candidate at one point as an offensive coordinator for the Bucks when they won the Super Bowl with Tom Brady. He had the Jacksonville Jaguars job, decided at the last minute to turn it down, go back to the Bucks. And then a year later, he was fired. He hasn't coached since. So sometimes you got to strike when the iron's hot. Big gamble here for Ben Johnson. He has decided not to pursue a head coaching job. And now we'll see what the commanders do. I do find it interesting, though, Glenn, that the commanders are almost certainly going to draft a new quarterback at number two overall, whether that ends up being Drake May or Jaden Daniels, you would think they'd be interviewing a lot of offensive-minded guys. The only one that I've seen that they interviewed that was offensive-minded so far was their own in-house guy, Eric Bieniemy. Almost everybody else has been a defensive candidate. Mike McDonald from the Ravens was interviewed. Aaron Glenn, our old friend, who, of course, had a great career with the Jets and is the defensive coordinator in Detroit. He's been interviewed. There have been a couple of others, but it's almost been entirely defensive coordinators. Kind of surprising. This has been a strange coaching carousel. Looks like Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick. Belichick, arguably the greatest coach in NFL history, and Vrabel, a former coach of the year, who went to an AFC championship game with the Tennessee Titans. Both of them are probably going to be sitting out at least one year. I don't think most people would have seen that coming. No, it's, it's, it really is a crazy situation when you look at some of the guys who have jobs and some of the guys who are available to hire. As far as the, the Johnson situation goes, I agree. I mean, anytime a guy turns down a head coaching job, and I get it, you know, guys, you know, they, they get to this point in their careers by having a tremendous amount of faith in what they do and how they do it and how they go about their business. But I I just feel like, we have seen enough times where exactly what you just described happens and it could even be something beyond their control. It might be that you're the hot candidate this year and somebody wants you and you say, no, I'm going to bet on myself. And maybe you come back next year and, and a bunch of your guys get injured and that's why they don't perform. But that your name kind of falls off the list. You're not the hot guy anymore. You, you, your offense was ranked 23rd instead of sixth, and no one cares if you had guys hurt. So I always feel like, and it, listen, maybe it's, it's, it's a matter of, you know, living in that world on a very real basis. Like for you or me, of course, the thought of having a job in the league would be amazing. So you think just take the damn thing. But for a guy like that who believes in himself and thinks that he's going to, you know, be able to repeat his success next year and, and get a job, admire the, you know, admire the self-confidence and the belief. But I think you have to recognize the fact that things can can go haywire in a hurry and you can find yourself at, you know, the example you gave Byron Leftwich, right? You go from turning down a head coaching job to not even having a job within a year or two and that does happen glenn naughton editor jet nation thanks so much for coming on and recapping the first practice of senior bowl week with me day number two down in mobile really appreciate it we'll be back to do this again tomorrow glenn will be in mobile all week and we will have 
live reports coming out of Mobile from Glenn. So make sure that you keep checking them out and check out everything we're doing over at playlikeajet.com. And also give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com.